It's the Super 90s Brothers! Welcome to the Super 90s Brothers! Where we do hazy memory riffs on the most scissoring decade ever. I'm your host, Brennan Pointer. Along with me is my co-host, Adam J. Pitzler. And today we're talking about Edward Scissorhands. Ow! Ooh, nothing better than a, a good uh, film score to, you know, really start start a podcast. Jesus. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But, I mean... <laughs> Thanks, it- Danny Elfman. Yeah, good work, uh, Oingo Boingo. Do you know how they say Oingo Boingo in, in Baltimore, according to Scott Van Pelt? How? Oingo Boingo. <laughs> is Danny Elfman, <laughs> is he British or is he Australian? I have no idea. Oh. Um, yeah, well, here we are. How, how are you doing, buddy? I'm okay. It's 10 days until Christmas. It's December, and I'm talking to my good friend on a podcast. The world could be worse. How are you? I'm doing great. We're uh, under so much snow here in Spokane. It's really uh, beginning to look a lot like Christmas. It's mm. been looking like Christmas for the last uh, month. So we've how many how many inches do you have down roughly? I don't know. We just have snow. Is it melting or is it just stacking? no? You know, it's not been it hasn't been melting as much. It's definitely our the snow's been sticking around this year. Mm. Usually we get like some forty degree days in December, and there it's it's all still around. So. It's like 55 in California right now, but... No snow yet, though, right? No, I don't think we're going to get snow. It does get down to about like 35-ish at night, but then it shoots right back up into the 50s the next day. So even if we did get lucky for like a night or something, it would never stick. Well, you know, if you got an Edward Scissorhands in your neighborhood, it might snow where you live. Sometimes you can still catch me dancing in it, Brennan. Um, so, um, if you guys like to dance in snow, you can reach out to us at super90sbrothers at gmail.com, at super90sbrothers on the Twitter. Brennan is at spocastpods, adampitzler.com. What we're really wanting is those five-star reviews from you guys. So, if you could please get on Apple iTunes Music and hit us up for a good five-star review, it would mean the world to us, wouldn't it, Brennan? Oh, absolutely. Please give us those five-star reviews. It really helps out a lot. Gets us up higher in the rankings. Makes us... Uh, bigger you know pod makes us a bigger podcast in like the smaller countries across the the world i'd even tell you this adam i get updates on how like our podcast is performing places and if we if we hit on a chart in like a different country i'll get an alert we at one point war was uh, war was um we wore we were uh then like the a top 50 uh, entertainment podcast in New Zealand. Oh, and nice. Like, so yeah, so like in New Zealand, you know, is a real country. That's like one of the good ones. Yeah. <laughs> no offense, Cyprus. We love you too. But you know, people know where New Zealand is. Yeah, English speaking, I would say. Like, I mean, that's that's important. Yeah, fly to the Concords, Lord of the Rings, Taka Watiti. Yeah, but I was that was that was cool to see. But then yeah, we slowly went off the charts because we you know haven't had a podcast come out in a month so we we love our new zealand fans and uh, if you guys are in new zealand listening to this podcast hit us up and we'll try and do something nice for you we love our kiwis 
We do. What what are we talking about today, Brennan? We are talking about something from December of 1990. So what Brennan and I like to do is we like to set the scene a little bit. So I want everybody to picture yourselves. It's 1990. It's December, just like it is right now. It's cold out. The Gulf War is in full force. Evander Holyfield just knocked out Buster Douglas to become the new heavyweight boxing champ of the world. And the radio starts playing. It's the tunes of the time. Oh, yeah. Tunes of the time. That was a number 19 song in the U.S. at the time, Wiggle It by Two in a Room. Ow! <laughs> I was very confused um, by this song. I was, wasn't sure if it was the band Wiggle It and the song was called Two in the Room. Um, I've never heard of Two in the Room as a, as a, as a group, as a rap group. Um, I've maybe heard the song a couple times, but definitely nothing I've never... Um, but you don't much remember time Wiggle with. It? I, I, you know, I don't. Wiggle It's one of those weird little lyrics that's been that earwormed into my brain, and like whenever somebody says the word wiggle in my head, I start going like wiggle it just a little bit. Like it's it's like <laughs> that lyric stuck with me my whole oh, life. Oh wow, that's I'm sorry about that. Yeah, yeah, it's not the best, but I mean, <laughs> it's not the worst either. Wiggle It's an okay song. Yeah, I, I've never. I've never seen this video for one. I, but then I like was like going through like who like I was like I wanted to find out a little bit about this group and like and in the comments on YouTube someone was like I saw two in a room open for Vanilla Ice and MC Hammer and I'm like oh so this is like right in my alley like I was listening to both of those both MC Hammer and uh, Vanilla Ice and but then this this escaped me apparently. Huh, that's interesting. Me? You you don't usually miss anything like wow. R R and B or pop. But yeah, this. But then but then I watched this music video as well, and whoa, this video is like it looks like they just got their camcorder. You know, their yeah. dad's it camcorder. Looks, it's the camcorder you used to film your family playing soccer. <laughs> really? Yeah. Uh, the video is just a, a like a dancing beach party, like one of those old Frankie and Annette Funicello movies. You can't tell what's going on. It's just people dancing. The very beginning of the video is a bunch of like goofy white people doing dumb shit, like burying each other in the sand and like dancing really bad. It looks like it looks like they're like getting ready for the Beach Boys to set up. Like it's like the whitest, goofiest thing. And the color balance of the video is completely blown out by the sun. Like it is there's shots where you like can barely see anything. It's like it's like bleached out. Yeah, it was it's it's weird. And then it, during the chorus, the wiggle it part, then they just start showing people wiggling it, and it's like close-ups of like women's butts. And some of the think, women's butts are fine, and then some of the women's butts are not so fine, I would say. Yeah, I think they were saying it's okay for anyone to wiggle it. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. And and I don't I don't recall it just being butts either. I remember it being torsos, breasts, legs at one point. At one point, the lead singer says something about kicking it, and he does this really weird, awkward kick in the video. 
<laughs> Do you remember that? Yes, I remember. <laughs> it doesn't look like a kick. It sort of looks like he's having like a spasm, like a leg spasm. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, anybody and everybody could wiggle it. Apparently, yeah, of course. Everyone and anyone should wiggle it too. You, I mean, if you want to wiggle it, just go ahead and wiggle it, I think is, is the underlining point. Absolutely. At one point, the video goes into like, it goes black and white and it goes into like fast forward and it shows everybody dancing and it looks like everyone's having epileptic seizures. I did not get that far in the video. I stopped watching after the, after the, the chorus and a little bit into the next verse so oh oh you're doing yourself a disservice Brennan. you need to fully watch every one of these like songs of the month or tunes of the time videos like they're 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 gold at times uh, i'm i'm very curious to know though like you picked the number 19 song in the country of the time i what was like in the top 20 oh my god Brennan. i went through the top 20 like line by line and it was shit it was absolute shit it was I, I i should pull it up real quick because it was it was so bad but it was all really sappy love songs and like it was from a lot of them was like from bands that were popular in the 80s but for some reason they're still kind of relevant in like in 1990 like hall and oats and heart were, were like on there but mm. they were singing these like really bad love songs yeah and there was like a Something called Because I Love You, the Postman song by Stevie B. I'm Your Baby Tonight by Whitney Houston. <laughs> like just everything was just like really bad, sappy love songs. And I was like dying to find something with just a little bit of a beat. The number one song of 1990 was Hold On by Wilson Phillips. Yeah, that was on there. Oh, yeah, was Wilson it? Phillips. That's well, like, I don't know if the Hold On was, but there was a Wilson Phillips definitely, song. Definitely, yeah. I lived in Nashville at the time, and I remember listening to a lot of, like, I remember Wil Wilson Phillips being on MTV a lot. Yeah, I don't really remember Wilson Phillips. Are they sort of, like, alternative? Uh, no, they're, like, um, it's, Wilson Phillips are the daughters of uh, Beach Boys. And, oh. And so they are uh, a girl group, and they they kind of, they sing, they harmonize, um, but it's very poppy girl music. It's a little... It's sappy. It's oh, you know, you know what the other stuff on the top twenty was like uh, love ballads from like eighties hair bands. There oh, was mm -hmm. something to believe in by Poison, and um, High Enough by Damn Yankees. I fucking hate High Enough. <laughs> there was the only other song on there that I considered was um, the number four song was Groove Is in the Heart by D Light, which Ooh. is kind of a fun song. It's like one of my favorite songs of all time. Yeah, that was that came in second place to wiggle. <laughs> wow. If we do another song in this in this timeline, we'll do Groove is in the Heart. So 1990s, Adam, like 1990s was a weird year for me. I like I said, I was living in Nashville, Tennessee. I yeah, this is like a weird, really weird time in my life. That's all I can say. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, we were six. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> we're, yes. we probably we probably didn't have the most complex thoughts. Um, <laughs> but anyway, speaking of things that wiggle be it a tush or a long scissor finger. What are we covering today, Brennan? We're covering Edward Scissorhands. Ow! This is a movie that I never really actually watched until later in life. I never spent much time with it in the 90s. Oh, really? Yeah. I. It's one of those movies that I like came back to because I knew it was it was a Tim Burton movie. But oh. it, it's bizarre that I miss this movie so much when I, like, in the 90s. Like, and it must have been because I was in, because my parent, because I had... My parents had Jordan, who was like a one-year-old. Um, we lived in Nashville, and there just wasn't a ton, ton of time to go see movies. Um, 
My dad was very busy. Like it was just like a weird time in my life. And I definitely missed seeing this in the theater. I don't think I saw it in the theater, but it we w- definitely rented it and then we owned it. So yeah, but like, do you know how old you were when you first saw it? Yeah, we saw it when it first came out on like Blockbuster or whatever as a new release. So, mm-hmm. you know, middle of 20, middle of 1991. So I would have been like about seven. So, and we, and we owned it right away. Oh, you know what? At that time in our life, we had that, I've mentioned this, we had that pirate box. So we, we had pay-per-view. So that maybe that was how we got it because I remember having it on a VHS like immediately and like people borrowing it from us. And we watched it like my mom and I really liked it. My so mom and I watched this movie. With that pirate box, could you hook up a VHS recorder to yes. it? And, uh, could, yes. and so you just recorded everything. Yes, I did. Wow. It was cool. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, I wish that was still a thing. So, um, do you, so I guess my initial impressions would be better than yours since you don't, you didn't watch it when you were like seven. Well, but. I, the thing is like, I, it's weird. Like I definitely probably watched this with my dad. I don't remember it at all because it was just too old for, for me. Like it, it was one of those like kids movies that was this, like it tried to be a kids movie, but it was very adult. Like there, it, and there was like nothing in it that like made, made me as a kid want to watch it. Um, I probably watched a little bit with my dad and probably fell asleep. And then I never went back to it. I was, uh, I was entranced by it as a, as a young man, like a seven-year-old. I loved the story. I, I loved the, the contrast of the character against mm. the little su- suburban world. I mean, I didn't, I couldn't articulate that at the time, right? but, but I, I, I was always entranced with Edward in this story and it's this fun little story. And I like the family and I like Edward and I don't know it. It, it captivated me the first time I saw it, and I've loved this movie ever since. So I've loved this movie for 30 years. That's that's interesting Interesting that you say that because my kids are the reason why I even wanted to do it, like do this episode on it, because they were watching it on Disney Plus like about a month and a half ago, and they loved it. And, they, and I just like, I kind of just sat down and started watching it with them, and I just like didn't get up. And I watched the entire thing with them, and I was just like, oh man, this is... And it might, that might have been the very first time I've ever like sat through the entire movie, like without like falling asleep or without going back to it and finishing it. Like I just watched it all at once and, and it, and they love it too. Like they, it's one of the movies that they like will ask to turn on at night sometimes. So, so this is another one of those, uh, Brennan covers the nineties and 2022 episodes. Like you don't have 1990s feelings about this. You have 2022 feelings about this. For sure, yeah. Okay, but I have like you know I we've I have feelings on Tim Burton in general from the 90s, and I mean, and I still think how I feel about this. Like I knew Edward Scissorhands was around in the 90s. It wasn't like it, I like missed it. I just you know wasn't a movie that I like went back to. I mean, if I was watching Tim Burton when I was a kid, I was watching Batman. Batman Returns. But yeah, it was those those movies and maybe Nightmare Before Christmas. Well, this one was also very popular. It was in a lot of pop culture references. I remember everybody knowing this movie, talking about it. I, it was they talked there was a Seinfeld episode where there's like a barber and he's in love with Edward Scissorhands the movie and Newman's in love with it and Jerry comes home and Newman's like blubbering on his couch like crying into some tissue boxes <laughs> and in the in the show The Critic which is one of my favorite cartoons they did a parody of it called Edward Plunger Hands <laughs> so this was this was definitely a, a very mainstream when it came out so I the, the budget was 20 million at box office 86 
um, because it's such a great story. But to tell you more about the story and how the plot goes, it's time for my favorite part of the show. Brennan's Bad Synopsis. Ow. Oh, man. Even though I've watched this movie like a month ago, I'm going to butcher this um, just because there's... That, that's what I want. There's one big plot point in this movie that I like went over my head even watching it later as an adult. Um, that he like, has scissors for hand? Exactly. So basically, the plot of the movie um, starts like any good movie in th th that day and age is with an old person reading a story to their grandchildren, um, much like The Princess Bride. But... Um, this woman is the elderly version of Winona Ryder's character, and she's telling the story to her granddaughter of about who Edward was, who um, and where snow comes where from. snow where snow comes from, pretty much, and and basically, then she, the movie fast forwards or not fast forwards goes back to so the movie starts like with Diane West who play who is Peg. And she's an Avon uh, salesperson, and she's going door to door, and she goes to the castle on this top of this hill to sell Avon to whoever lives there. And Dracula, <laughs> and the only person I thought Dracula might need some Avon. <laughs> uh, and then, and then Edward, I, and then she discovers Edward living here, living here in this castle, in this remote, desolate castle by himself, and. And I guess this is, I I must have missed this part when I watched it with my kids because I don't know what transpired for her to take Edward to her house and live with them there. But that's what happens is she feels sorry for him. He's all alone. And he's 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 clearly like socially unadjusted and she wants to help. There we go. And so that happens. And then Edward gets introduced to this this town of characters who are all just very, like, they're very, it's funny, like, they, they he's just very out, I shouldn't say out there, but he's, like, very mysterious. There we go. He's mysterious. He has scissors for hands, but, like, people aren't necessarily, like, making fun of him, but they're, like, they want to know more. And so they, he starts by doing, like, like, getting to know the people, like, by cutting up, hedges and stuff and then the shapes and and then i this is oh man this is getting all i can already tell this is going bad um that's what i want yes yes because <laughs> yeah. like there's other plot points that i'm majorly missing um and but he is becoming a local celebrity like in this in this little town and and meanwhile at the same time like renona Ryder isn't really in the picture yet because she's camping is that um yeah. and anyways and so so god <laughs> you're doing fine just keep crashing this keep is what we all want again, this no. is like watching nascar highlights we don't care about the race <laughs> we want to see the crash but at some point in the movie edward and winona come face to face and it's when she returns home from the camping trip late at night and edward is sleeping in her bed and she gets all freaked out and they all get freaked out and all this stuff happens. And then, uh, and then like the, I think it kind of like the, the movie just keeps on going on kind of normal. Like she's the movie off. just keeps on going on. Well said. Exactly. And she's very, <laughs> and now she's very intrigued by Edward as well, because he's doing all these good things for 
you know, the city, but then she also has like a terrible boyfriend, Anthony Michael Hall, who he's like the only one that like really like sees Edward as like a monster. Like everyone else thinks like Edward is like cool and hip, but like he's like, he has, he has scissors for hands. Like this guy's fucking weird. And yeah, everyone gets over that really fast, don't they? <laughs> yeah, like, they hey, do. look at that dude. He's got knife hands. Cool. Can he mow my lawn? You know, like... and, but not Anthony Michael Hall. He he's uh he's the bully and he's really like and at the same time, like he's Edward is living with his girlfriend. And then like after like at the you kind of the the climax of the movie is like where Edward's getting super like famous locally, but then some mishaps start happening where he what is one of the early mishaps that happens? Well, that, like, the neighbors, the neighbor tries to seduce him, Kathy Baker, and yes. it doesn't go well. Mm. Like Edward's not into her. And I'm not even sure he has, he's biologically or anatomically correct. Like as a, like, I don't even know. Yeah. that That's a good point. Um, if he has scissors for hands, what does he have as a penis? Right. Um, how does he go to the bathroom? How does he, <laughs> well, we'll get to that. Um, and so, yeah, that happens. And then, and then, and then he, uh, Jim, Winona's boyfriend, convinces Winona Ryder to enlist Edward into breaking into Jim's dad's like goodie box where he keeps all his electronics so that they can sell it and buy a van. It's like a very simple plot. Like Anthony yeah. McAhall wants to get his own van so that he can have sex with Winona Ryder in the back of his van. <laughs> and they're like stealing from his dad to get the money. And they enlist Edward to break into the house to do it. And so they do that, but then Edward gets locked into the house as like, because like apparently like the house shuts down and he gets stuck in this house. And Renona Ryder and and the boyfriend are able to get away. And so now this entire thing is pinned on Edward Scissorhands, and and then the town's like, see, he is a bad person and he is creepy and he has scissors for hands, like. We need to kick him out of our out of our town, and like, basically, what ends up happening is that Edward ends up going back to the castle, and and then, but the people don't want to leave him alone. They wanna they want to kill him. They want to you know, they want to get him away from everyone. And basically, what ends up happening is he ends up killing Jim, and then Winona Ryder convinces the 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 town that Edward died in the in like the the roof caving in on him and she proves that he's dead by having one of his hand, the scissors like in her in her hands yeah the whole town gets over Jim's murder really quick <laughs> yeah. like oh Jim's dead but Edward's dead too let's just go home let's, and let's go leave home. the bodies <laughs> uh but but that's but but Edward didn't really die he just she uh, she must have got an extra. I forget how she got. Yeah, the... she she found an extra scissor hand somewhere, and she used it as a prop to to fake it. Yeah, um, and I think one of the the things that I did not really cover well in this synopsis is that one thing. One thing is that during you know during the movie, you get a bunch of flashbacks of him and the creator who created Edward, because um, Edward's not really he's not a human. He's actually like a robot and, and he's a Frankenstein monster. He's a, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. And so, and so they kind of go back and tell the story about like how, like he came to be. And one of the saddest, saddest parts or weirdest parts of the movie is that like 
Edward actually ended, ends up killing his his dad, the creator, accidentally when he. No, he doesn't. Doesn't he? No. Or does he have it, a heart attack? Creator has a heart attack. Oh, or he, creator sorry. dies of natural causes. Sorry, Edward I watched, doesn't kill. Him. I watched that wrong. <laughs> I took that the wrong way. Uh, he just Edward has doesn't kill him. And that's why he never gets his hands, is because his crater dies, correct? Right, right. Yeah. And that he ruins the hands, too, when he, like, touches them and, they like, cuts them all up. Um, yeah, because he has scissors for hands. But there's a lot I missed. There's other major characters <laughs> in here that, like, <laughs> learn a lot about themselves as well. Um, but, you know, the movie's called Edward Scissorhands, not, you know... Jim, Jim Anthony, and, Michael Hall, the bully. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what did I miss, Adam? I missed a lot. Oh, you missed a lot. You missed plenty. But you, you got the you got the nuts and bolts. Um, one thing that I think that is really important is that it's a fish out of water story. And mm. I, you, you hear me use that word a lot. But what's what I thought the script and Tim Burton did so well is putting them in this very cookie cutter, like suburbia, where everybody's house looks the same. Everybody's hobbies are the same. Everybody does the same thing day in and day out with just mm. a little bit of variance. And then Edward comes and changes the whole paradigm where like everyone starts thinking outside the box. Like maybe we don't all need to live in this cookie cutter lifestyle. Maybe we should, you know, think outside the box and they start letting Edward do crazy things with their shrubs and their dogs and their hair. And, and they just start to think about things a little different. Like they open their minds outside of, you know, their what's right in front of their face. Yeah. And, um, they also, they also like, then they start getting advantageous though and start trying to take advantage of Edward and his skills. Um, That's also true. Yeah. Everyone yeah. starts to try use Edward for themselves. Yeah. Except for, is it, so you said Diane West. Is it pronounced West? Because it's spelled like Weist, like Weist. I would say, I, I mean, I've always heard it as Diane West, um, but it could be, it could be Weist, Weist? or Weist okay. or Weist. I, it'd probably be more, it'd probably be Weist, but I always feel well, like anyway, I heard her name is Diane West. Well, she's the most, she has, she's like the best person in the movie. She's got like the most purest heart mm -hmm. and she only ship, even though she kind of bungles it, it's, it's not on purpose. That's certainly not her fault. All she ever wants to do is help Edward, but pretty much, and, and her family is fine too, but pretty much everyone else just wants to use him and take advantage of his, his unique qualities. Yes. But yeah, he did a pretty good job. And uh, I would just say that it was, it was just extremely popular. This was just like one of those movies that everybody saw. It was like, you know, Forrest Gump of 1990. Everybody saw this movie. Uh, can you explain the love story though? How did Edward and, and Kim, Winona Ryder become like kind of love interests? Well, so when Diane West brings Edward home, he show she shows him a picture of her daughter and she's like, isn't she pretty? And you can, they do that thing where like sappy music plays and it's like a long close shot on Edward staring at her picture. And you can tell that Edward's never really seen a woman before, mm. let alone, you know, a, a woman around his age. And they had Winona Ryder all dolled up and blonde. I don't remember her being blonde many, many times, but she was blonde, had long blonde hair and she's a cheerleader. And they, it was a very, uh, it was another just very cookie cutter type of character. She's a blonde, pretty cheerleader, you know? Mm -hmm. And Edward is um, entranced by her beauty. And he he has this really good natured soul where he just he's just very honest and earnest and he wants to help people. And Winona Ryder's boyfriend, Anthony Michael Hall, who's sort of in this weird post 80s version of Anthony Michael Hall, like the 80s is dead. You don't look like you did in the breakfast club anymore like really even that much at all. Yeah. And, and you're trying to change your image or something. And he's like a total dick. Like he's really selfish and self-centered and he, he's crass 
and he doesn't care about anybody. And she just, Winona Ryder gets sick of her jerk boyfriend and starts to appreciate the sensitive side of Edward. That's really what happens. Mm. He's just such the, he's just such the polar opposite of her current boyfriend. You know, she's attracted to it. Yeah. And when she realizes what a dick Jim is and how sweet Edward is, she just, it never really evolves into a love interest. I mean, they never kiss or do anything. They just, they just have feelings for each other. It is a love, kind of a love story, but it is, it is very not like, it's not like a sec, like a sexual type, like a love story. It's different. It's a different type of emotion. I would say it's kind of sweet. Attraction. I kind of like, yeah. I kind of like that. What about you? Yeah, it's like innocent. It's and I think that's what maybe I liked about my kids liking it so much is that it, this isn't like a typical love story where like everything turns out happy like ha- happily ever after. Like it's kind of a sad ending. Yeah, um, he kills her boyfriend and then gets banished to a castle forever. <laughs> right. <laughs> um but it's a Romeo and Juliet. Tale. But at the same time, Edward has learned, you know, how to be a creative person in his own space and you know and live this uh, like he basically ends up living in this castle that's now surrounded by ice sculptures and um like other and like hedges and you know it's a very beautiful place that he lives now and this castle that was once very desolate is now very beautiful and filled with like joy yeah, and a lot of people have drawn a lot of comparisons to Edward Scissorhands' character to Tim Burton himself as someone mm. who is very shy and very pale and very into his art, but not very good at being social. And girls he liked weren't paying attention to him. They were dating jocks, you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, Edward Scissorhands is like Tim Burton in a way that he's he's extremely creative, but he's just off-center. And these cookie-cutter people just don't know how to take him. And while they love him at first, they may turn on him for his weirdness. And that... I mean, that did happen to Tim Burton. People, some people loved his style. Some people thought he was like creepy and satanic. You know what I mean? And there's, there's some of that in this movie. There's like this weird religious lady who keeps calling Edward like a spawn of Satan or something for no reason, just because she's paranoid about his differences. Mm. And so there's a lot of parallels to how Tim Burton viewed himself with how Edward gets presented into society. And I've always thought as I'm a writer and a filmmaker, I've always thought the best example of that is probably when um, Tim Burton like left high school and he went to like an art school and then he got hired by Disney and Disney Disney wanted to use his talents, but he didn't fit in at Disney. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. So that's that's how I feel. I mean, he hasn't said that or anything, but knowing what I know about the industry, that's that's how I always took that. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I mean, the the biggest draw for this movie continues to be its lead character, don't you think? And the, the lead actor, I should say. Yeah, I mean, it's Johnny Depp. I wouldn't say this is peak Johnny Depp yet. Like, we're no, just getting the was, beginning of him. But, like, this is, this like... This was welcome to the world, Johnny Depp. I mean, he'd been in a couple of things. Right. Like, he was not a heartthrob, and he was not A-list or famous to everybody until until this movie. That's, that's true, yeah. Like, yeah, there was a... He didn't do... He was in... Nightmare on Elm Street was a... a a big movie he was in. And he then, did that when he was very young. But then, I mean, that was six years before this. But I guess what would be probably the most famous thing that he had been doing when it was 21 Jump Street. Yeah, but it was a TV show. And you've made the good point on this podcast that in this era of entertainment, it wasn't common for TV show actors to successfully jump to the big screen and become A-listers. Yeah. That was quite rare. You were a TV actor, you were a movie actor most often. Yeah. But yeah, this starts a long list of movies that Johnny Depp does with Tim Burton and just really starts his career of 
just being the you know a-list actor that we all know him as yeah and he was in what's eating gilbert grape a couple of years later and that's when i think everyone not only thought he was good looking but also really respected him as an actor after yeah. that performance You're like okay this guy is not only good looking and fun to watch he's also like incredibly talented so he's he's like he checks all the boxes and then everybody wanted him and everything. Yes. So good for good for Johnny Depp for making the most of his opportunity. And he sure nailed this role, by the way. I read that he studied a lot of Charlie Chaplin mm. to try and incite sympathy without words because his character is so non-vocal. Has to have like only 20 lines in this movie, maybe. Because um, he never has anything longer. He never says anything longer than a much longer than a sentence, you know, but uh his character is really interesting, and you're going to really laugh at me, Adam, when I tell you this. When I watched this movie with Lincoln Ivy a month ago, I had no idea that Edward Scissorhands was like a robot, like, or created. I had no idea. I was like, I... And like, you thought he was a real person that just had scissor hands? I don't know what I thought he was, but I did. <laughs> you thought he was born with scissor hands? <laughs> but like. <laughs> the, the doctor's no, looking at the, no. the, the x-ray and is like, oh man, we need to do cesarean. This kid's going to fuck you up if we do it naturally. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think, like, I don't know if I didn't think he, he was born with like scissor hands, but I must have like thought like maybe this, he didn't was born without hands. I didn't, I missed the part where he was. And the only the suitable replacement at the time was scissors. I like I missed the part where he was created by this uh this like toy creator. Um Yeah, you you you're envisioning him as sort of like a like a Bond villain or a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles villain that has like they're like half mech. Right. And then but then there's things that happen in this movie that, that like cuz like he can't really eat food and he can't drink alcohol and he like and and so it's like his character, I, I did, it opened up a whole new part of watching the movie for me. <laughs> okay. Well, um, Edward is, I mentioned he's a Frankenstein monster and he's, he was created by this eccentric inventor who just wanted a son or a friend and the creator dies tragically before Edward gets his real hands. Mm. And so Edward's isolated and alone at this giant castle at the end of the suburban neighborhood, like Brennan said, Peg adopts him into their little family. He falls with the teenage daughter and he gets like swept away in the neighborhood's fascination with him because he's been like this lonely recluse for so long. Um, but now people are acknowledging him and seeing his talents, but the attention affects him in unusual ways. And that's sort of what the story is about is like him trying to acclimate, ultimately rejecting the society and retreating to what he knows. Yeah, that's a, a lot of... Uh... Good storytelling in this movie, I feel like. Yeah, very good thematically. This was a really, really cool script that was that was done really well. And I'll get to the screenwriter later because I, I really admire her. Mm. Um, but the next character is Winona Ryder, who plays the character of Kim Boggs. Uh, you'd seen her at this point in Beetlejuice and Heathers, and she's in the movie Lucas and Great Balls of Fire. Mm -hmm. And now you know her as the mom on Stranger Things, which I just finished, by the way. Mm. I just finished season four of Stranger Things. And because I waited for eight months, like instead of everyone else, I had forgotten about the badass, like Metallica Master of Puppets thing. Oh, yeah. So like I'm watching the finale. I was like, holy shit, they're doing Metallica. That's what everyone was talking about. Yeah. I didn't fully understand why those kids had to fight the bats, but it was still a cool scene. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She's, but talk, talk about Winona. Winona, right. Yeah. She's just, I mean, it's looking at this, like this cast like now like is this it's kind of crazy how like how big Winona Ryder and 
Johnny Depp got in the nineties. Like, and, and, but like, cause in the, I don't know if this, this must've started their love. Like their like, cause I don't know if did Winona Ryder and Johnny Depp get married, but, um, but I don't think they got famously dated. Uh, Johnny Depp has a tattoo on him that says that said Winona forever. And then he got it changed to saying Wino forever. And, but yeah, she's, um, she's a high school cheerleader. Very, she, you know, like you said, like we all know Winona Ryder's having like black hair, kind of pale skin in this movie. She's very, she has blonde hair. She's, um, very much a, like a shallow teenage girl who is just like, has a jock boyfriend and has basic friends and but through you know meeting edward she learns you know about his sensitivity and you know like about and like it really changes her perspective of what you know what we should what we should find important in our in our lives Mm -hmm. um and I think she realized that her boyfriend is a fucking asshole and anyone who would make someone rob a house with you and then like pin it on them is a, is a piece of shit. <laughs> real, real quick. Do you remember when an owner rider got arrested for like shoplifting? Yeah. That was also in the nineties. Wasn't it? Well, I think it was actually around 2000. Okay. Um, so it was about 10 years after this and it was one of those really weird stories. And it kind of reminds me of like Hank's wife on breaking bad that she's, I mean, obviously, Winona Ryder doesn't need to steal. Right. <laughs> Why is she stealing? <laughs> yeah, that's funny. It, it must be one of those things like she does it because she's trying to get a rush or trying like this can't help herself, you know? <laughs> totally. Um, but Edward and Kim, Edward says, and Kim have this, this, they fall in love. And we've got a, we've got a clip for that. Are you okay? Yes. Are you okay? Where is everybody? Out looking for you. like dude you can like you can sculpt a fucking angel out of an ice cube and you don't know how to hold somebody with your arms and not your hands <laughs> he's learning uh like, wake up edward yeah i that movie that seems very sad it's fine i mean it's it's, it's sweet it's yeah. it's sweet it's more sweet than sad because kim is finally like i accept you for what you are right and edward feels accepted and loved for what he is. And he'd never, he hadn't had that since his creator died, his Vincent Price creator. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is, and it goes in the, you know, I, and this must be from Tim Burton about like, you know, learning about how to love people. But like, this is, I mean, the movie is really, I don't know if it's about Edward learning how to love, but it's mostly about these people having to learn how to, love people that are 
some different than you. I I'm, I'm guess is what maybe Tim Burton was trying to go for too. Is just like not everyone is like part of this picture perfect world or cookie cutter life, and like there are people out there that are different, but they still need love too. You know. Um, Don't you think it's weird when people like partner up with people who are exactly like them? It's so weird. Yeah, I I think it's really odd and i think it says a lot about them Mm -hmm. um i'm proud to say my wife is completely different than me like in almost every way and i'm fascinated by that i remember if there was a woman like me i would be so unattracted to her i think she's obnoxious yeah that's that's fair i I agree like i i i think me and abby have similar things that we find interesting but we're very different like yeah you are and how we and how we act like we have totally different love languages and we are very different on like what you know what our needs are as people yeah you'd think you'd you'd think that that seems more normal to me because you're looking for qualities in others that you appreciate mostly because you don't have them yourself right or 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 if you're if you two people that become one unit and you both talk a lot that doesn't work like you know what i mean you need Mm -hmm. a yin and a yang to like that quality once you become a unit absolutely um Uh, so anyway edward and kim were that and obviously kim wanted Someone that wasn't a dick, so right that that made a that was helpful too. Edward wasn't a dick, and we don't even know if he had one. But um, the next character I want to talk about, Diane West, we're calling her, was the mom in the Lost Boys, which is like my favorite '80s movie and my sister's favorite movie of all time. Um, she was also the preacher's wife in Footloose, which I just watched for the first time ever. Oh, like really? Yeah, I'd never seen. It. I always thought it was a musical, and I avoided it because I hate musicals. But it's not a musical; they just dance. I can handle dancing. I don't like musicals. Mm. And then she was the 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 main mom in the movie Parenthood, which is a Ron Howard movie with Steve Martin, which is actually really good. It's really well made. Nineties Parenthood, right? Is that is that eighties or nineties? Like, I think it's nineteen eighty nine. And like, this is bef- this is like the movie that predates the TV show. They're both based on like the same idea, but uh, just for everyone, there was a nineties movie before there was a TV show. Well, I think it was eighty nine, but yeah, yeah. And then she was the reverend's, or not the reverend, the politician's wife and future mother-in-law of, of the son in the movie The Birdcage, which I think is one of the best 90s comedies. And I'm a little surprised we haven't done that one yet because I think it's so funny. But um, she plays this really sweet Avon lady who, and they sort of present it as like her husband's the breadwinner and she's working Avon just to kind of help out and keep herself busy. It's not really an income per se it's right. just it's just something she kind of does which mm. is fine and she's the only, she's the first one to show genuine concern for edward she like finds him he's alone he's got scars on his face because he doesn't have real fingers and she wants to help him so she brings him home gives him a family to assimilate into what she thinks is normal but her normal is very different than edward's normal yes and then she, she when she brings him home there's the sweet scene and i mentioned it earlier where she she shows edward all of her pictures of her family and it's actually like as a screenwriter, this is a really brilliant scene because it it introduces you to all the rest of the principal characters in a very quick, succinct amount of time. And we've got a clip to show it to you. Well, this is my husband, Bill. He's a bowling champion. Do you know what bowling is? No, bowling? No, well, here they are down at the lake fishing. I think Kevin looks a little glum because they didn't catch anything that day. And um, here's my daughter, Kim, all dressed for the junior prom.
if you're ever looking at a picture of somebody and you start going, <laughs> it's pretty clear that you like want them. You like want their body. Is that what they're trying to go for there? Well, it was trying to set up love, but yeah. Again, since I mean, I'm not sure. I forgot that there was a son in this movie. Um, but uh, but yeah, I just feel like she was just such a sweet. Yeah, like you, we've said multiple times, she's just such a sweet woman to Edward, and she, I, I feel like she has no like ill intention at all. Like she just wants to help Edward, and even as like the success and like him becoming more popular happens like all she wants is like help him like start his businesses and like very helpful and like very like a kind of a a picture perfect mom i would say she reminds me a lot of my real mom to be honest Mm. just very genuine warm wants to help everybody wants the best for everybody will sacrifice to help other people and that makes her happy you know what i mean yeah that's how my mom is to a t um Um, so i I always liked the mom i do want to correct ourselves her name is pronounced Diane Wyest. So um you were correct. Okay. Um, um and the kid the 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 little brother that you were just talking about, I never recognized him in the million times I've seen both movies. That's the same kid from Honey I Shrunk the Kids. And I like never made that connection growing up. Really? I did not either. Um Yeah, the main little kid. Huh. That's crazy. Yeah. It totally is him. Yeah, I know. Uh, um well. So anyway, don't you think that scene's so effective from like a writing perspective? Because it introduces the whole family in like less than a minute. It yes. tells you like everything you need to know about that. It's like, that is so hard to do. Yeah, I I, I think, you know, I, it's funny is like, I don't really think about that kind of stuff when I watch movies. Like, I don't think well, about Well, they don't want you to. Yeah, I, mean, I know they don't. But like, it's one of those things like when you're a graphic designer, you notice design stuff. If you're a screenwriter, you notice the stuff and... uh but uh, but yeah, you're right. It does. It introduces you to all of them and this little this little picture perfect family. You know, mom, dad, and daughter and son. So yeah, it's great. I really appreciate. It. Maybe I'll steal it one day in one of my scripts because it's so effective. And it really, what it what it's best at is time management. Like this movie is only. Um, I've got this written down. 105 minutes, so an hour 45. Perfect. Yeah. If you have to have a scene with the dad bowling and the dad and the son fishing and the daughter out with her boyfriend, like cheering or whatever, you're up to 152, 153 now, but you don't need any of that. Cause you had this one minute of pictures and explanation with the mom and Edward. Yeah. I mean, they even introduced the, the, that asshole boyfriend too, in these pictures. Like you're right. Yeah, they, they do. Mm-hmm. So you want to talk about some of the, the other characters outside of the main few that we just mentioned? You know, I mean, obviously we've talked a lot about Anthony Michael Hall, but he's in this movie. Um, I really want to talk about Alan Arkin just because when I watched this movie, uh, rewatched it for the first time in a while, I, you know, I, Alan Arkin's one of those actors that like, I don't really, he's very like someone that I didn't know until a lot later in life because of uh, like little miss sunshine and other things that he's done. Um, so it was, it was odd seeing like a, a younger, even though he's still like an old, older man in this movie, like an, a younger Alan Arkin as, as I know him because he has hair, he's not bald like he usually is, but I just love Alan Arkin's um, how he holds himself on screen. Like he's just a very, something about him is always very likable and he's just, but he's, has something about him that like you just love watching. Uh, I agree. Um, he said when he read the script, he like didn't get it at all. And he was like, okay, whatever. And then like he saw, 
some of the set pieces that Tim Burton had had and, and he saw some of the production design and where it was going. And then he said it all started making sense. And he, he didn't, obviously he didn't know Tim Burton well, and he didn't realize like how visually stunning his, his imagination was. And he thought that that really made the movie come together. Cause when he just read the script, he, he couldn't see that in his mind's eye, you know? Mm-hmm. So that was interesting. Um, and I have a, and I have a little scene from Alan Arkin uh, after basically what has happened is Edward has scared uh, went on a writer and he is and Alan Arkin takes Edward down into the basement to sleep on a, a hideaway bed and he, you know, kind of talks talks him through it. What's the matter? What's wrong? <laughs> she get you nervous? You've been cloistered away up in that castle too long. You don't know anything about the wonderful world of teenage girls. They're all crazy. Here, so straighten right out. What is it? Lemonade. I don't know what it is. They reach a certain age. They develop these gland things. Their bodies swell up. They go crazy. For something about that that scene I just loved was this like, Alan Arkin's not really talking with Edward Scissorhands. Like, I mean, he is talking with him, but like, he's like, just like blabbering. He's just like talking to talk and like he's pouring Edward, uh, he's pouring him a whiskey and and a funny scene happens later in the movie. He's like, but so after he drinks that whiskey, Edward like starts like coughing really. Like he can't take drink the alcohol because it's like burning his sick. inside. Yeah. And then I don't know if it's like the next scene or a couple minutes later, uh, he's outside and a woman's like, Edward, would you like any lemonade? And Edward's like, lemonade. And he like he goes and he throws up all over her yard. <laughs> That's what it is. Uh, but it, it, I just thought that scene was really good, and it's probably like one of the only scenes that has much of Alan Arkin in it. Because you like Alan Arkin so much, I want to recommend a movie to you called Indian Summer. It came out in like ninety three or ninety four. It's about like have you seen it? I've you know I haven't seen it for a really long time, but I definitely is it like a fifties movie. No, it's about these um it's it's about these like adults who go back to their like middle school camp as adults mm. and like they spend like a few days as adults in this camp and it's it's sort of a lighthearted comedy and the the adults are going through real world problems and they have to come to terms with it but it's very light and it's very well done and Alan Arkin's like the camp counselor uh. and he's he's really good in it and Sam Raimi the director plays like this weird random like camp hand who's always fucking everything up interesting yeah i'll definitely check it. yeah it has a lot of i mean it's a star-studded cast it's diane lane bill paxton uh elizabeth uh uh perkins kevin pollock yeah i definitely will check this out yeah you'd like it i think um other than that like there's a couple other notable characters who I think you wanted to talk about the well kathy baker yeah is the slutty desperate housewife next door and I think the the that year or the next year she got the role of the mom in Picket Fences, mm. which was really popular for a while. And she had said that this movie was like a good way for her to get into comedy, which she wanted to do because her character is pretty funny. Her character kind of turns on Edward when Edward doesn't have sex with her like she wants. She sort of starts making up stories about him to cover her own reputation. Mm-hmm. But the first half of the movie, she's very funny because she's just this 
really undersexed housewife and she's the kind that like calls the plumber over to her house and like hits on him and wants to have sex with him you know it's she's just like one of those ladies and really the way that the suburban housewives act in this movie is sort of like the undercurrent of of the dialogue and the social drama like if you want to know what people think there's always a scene where one of the housewives is talking to the other on the phone telling them what they really think about edward you know what i mean Mm mm-hmm and it, it serves really well. It, it serves the narrative really well. Yeah, I, I would totally agree. Like, and that scene where she forces herself like kind of on Edward is a very like cringy scene too. I, um, but when I watched it, I was like, cause like my kids were like, they're like, what's going on dad? And I'm like, I couldn't really explain it. <laughs> cause like, uh, she likes Edward. <laughs> um, yeah, um, yeah, that's really it with the cast, isn't it? Like that. Well, Vincent Price. Vincent is Price, it. yes. And and you know, Vincent Price was a was a big influence to Tim Burton and Vincent Price's movies. So I think that was a very personal decision to have Vince Price come in and be the creator of the character that Tim Burton sees as himself. And then I read that Nick Carter of is that InSync or is that Backstreet? I can never remember. Uh, that's Backstreet anyway, Boys. Okay, so Nick Carter of Backstreet Boys has an an extra role in this movie, sliding down a slip and slide when Edward's first being driven into the neighborhood. And I was like, I was waiting to see it as Jill and I were watching it. I was like, hey, look, it's Nick Carter. That would you ha- you caught that? You caught that it was Nick Carter? No, no, no. I read it online. Oh, you read it. Sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> and then I watched it. And I just and then you pointed it out. Pointed out to Jill. That's Nick Carter, as if I knew. And she was like, How do you know? I was like, Oh, I read it. That's funny. Anyway, so I thought. Just a real quick aside, some some a lot of fans have asked us to do this mm. to cover like toys and products that were in the 90s. It's not really what we do, but I thought this might be a good time to talk about slip and slides. Um, Brendan, do you remember slip and slides? Did you own a slip and slide? I own a slip and slide. I mean, you own today one. Yeah, of course. Like your kids have one. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, so, uh, Brennan, play the commercial, then we'll talk about it. You got a long, hot summer. You got nothing to do. I tell you, slip and slide is a way to get through. You get wet on slip and slide. You get cool. It's a long, wet ride. And you're hot on a slip and slide. Slip, slip and slide. First you stride, then you glide, then you slide, slide, slide. And get wet. Slip, slip and slide. The original slip and slide, and now the new slip and splash from Whammo. Brennan, did you get wet over slip and slide? I did. I I, I don't I, I don't know if I had a slip and slide when I was a kid, but I definitely had friends that had slip and slides. You know what's lame about slip and slides? They're only fun for so long. You can't like play on them for like at, like at least when I was a kid or even my kids. Like you can't play on it for much longer than like. 25 minutes before getting tired of it unless you have like a really yeah. long slip and slide. unless you put put together like three slip and slides like you know yeah they can't really compete with video games or anything but they, <laughs> they were they were like a fun 80s thing i wrote in the notes that i i think slip and slides are really more of an 80s thing than a 90s thing like mid 80s mid to late 80s we definitely owned one okay i i always wanted the slip and splash because it had the pool at the end but we just had a slip and slide oh oh yeah that we have a splish a, a, a slip and splash that's what i i bought this last summer as i bought a one of those things i bought it at target and hooked it up and yeah it it was fun for 30 minutes <laughs> yeah that's i mean 
I, mean, I bet you when it gets hot this summer, are you you think your kids would play on it again? Oh yeah, for sure. Oh, okay, so it'll be fun for thirty minutes again next summer. Yeah, good. Um, so so that pretty much covers the characters. Um, we've covered a lot of these scenes. Mm -hmm. Um, you mentioned when Edward first gets brought home, all the the neighborhood suburban wives are like buzzing around figuring out like, Ooh, who was that strange man in Peg's car? And, and they, they essentially like force Peg and her family to throw a welcoming barbecue so they can all meet Edward. They just like, they tell them you're having a barbecue and we're coming, <laughs> which I thought was funny. I can play the clip. I think it's, a, Oh, sure. Yeah. Here we go. Different. Oh, completely different. No kidding. He's so mysterious. Yeah. Do you imagine those hands are hot or cold? <laughs> And just think what a single snip could do. Or undo. <laughs> Eddie, Eddie, oh, oh. the guys and I were talking. Now, we'd like to invite you to our card game Friday night. Would you like that? Only thing is, you can't cut. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a really good introduction of all these characters that are in this town, too. Like, um, yeah, I, I thought, it, I, and I just thought that scene was funny i don't know it's always funny seeing like a fish out of water like in a space where like like they don't know how to behave um and i feel like johnny depp just does such a good job of like like because he he doesn't like we've already mentioned he does not talk that much in this movie but you can you can see what he's thinking the entire time that he's in these situations with these people yeah he's great you can read his face. I love the, I love the, you can't cut. It's such like a cliche dad joke that would totally get set at that barbecue. <laughs> right. Yeah. Other than, other than that scene, like, I don't think there's like anything, there aren't that like best scenes. I feel like the whole movie is just like a really, really good points of it, but I, I'm, I'm describing this poorly. No, I know what you mean. There, there aren't a lot of, some, some writers or directors will call them tent pole scenes, like mm. the, the big, fun scenes that hold a picture together and they're like the big moments everyone remembers this this script in this movie doesn't really have that it's more of a steady flow that yeah. builds on itself really well and so while some individual things don't stand out as much as in some other movies the movie as a, as a whole and as by the end of it you 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 consider the whole movie differently than you might one of these tentpole type scripts mm, I, that makes sense yeah, so the ending is is uh, Tim Burton called the ending a high school revenge fantasy. So this angry mob storms the castle. They want they want the cops to take Edward because he's he's kind of gone a little loco. And Jim, the the douchebag boyfriend, is like drunk and he's drunk driving. He almost runs over like Winona Ryder's little brother. And then he chases Edward up to this castle and starts beating him with like a like a stick or a rod or something. And then Winona Ryder kind of saves Edward by beating Jim over the head with like a big stick. And while Jim is sort of not paying attention, Edward like stands up and puts his fucking Freddy Krueger claw out and Jim kind of attacks him one last time. And Edward just shoves his hand into Jim's sternum or stomach and forces him out this window. And so like Jim gets stabbed in the gut and then he falls out the castle window and dies at the feet of the angry mob that is approaching the castle. And that's, that's, that's the beginning of the end that Brennan described earlier. Mm -hmm. And those are, those are kind of the, the high points I would say. Yeah. It, so yeah, really cool movie. Um, 
Well, I want to get into the production history a little bit now. No, we talked, we've, we'd said the word Tim Burton a lot and most Tim Burton fans know everything about him. Like he's one of these people that like the people that love him, they just like absolutely worship him and they've seen everything he's done and they can quote everything he's done. And they've got posters of every movie of his and they're like man cave and stuff. And so I'm not going to go too deep because those people know more than me probably anyway, but he had done Pee Wee's Big Adventure in the mid eighties. He did the Michael Keaton version of Batman and Batman Returns, and he did Nightmare Before Christmas and Beetlejuice. Hmm. Um, Nightmare Before Christmas was after this, but the rest of them were were around the same time or before. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what he was doing at that time in society. But who I really want to talk about is the screenwriter, who is a woman named Caroline Thompson, who Tim Burton had asked to write a version of his script based on one of her novels that he had read about like a fetus that comes to life or something. I apologize. I, I The title of that book escapes me, but after reading about it, I wanted to read it. But anyway, Tim Burton essentially read this, this, this short novel by some unknown author and really liked it and commissioned her to write a screenplay for him. And mm -hmm. her first screenplay was this movie, Edward Scissorhands. And she nailed it. And she went on to also write The Addams Family, Nightmare Before Christmas, Homeward Bound, and Corpse Bride, amongst others. So she went on to have a really, really successful kick-ass screenwriting career from this novel she wrote. And that's that's sort of like a writer's dream. And so I just wanted to like give her props for really like nailing it and taking advantage of it and giving us these awesome screenplays that Tim Burton brought to life. Yeah, for sure. Uh Addams Family one is uh, very topical right now since the that new Tim Burton show Wednesday is out. What's funny about the Adams family though, is that Tim Burton was supposed to direct that. And then it, I, it, I think he had other obligations. I think Batman returns or something like that. But, uh, but I, that was her second film, which is also a really, a really good movie. Have you seen Wednesday? I've heard kind of mixed things. I've heard nothing but great things from people that I've, Oh, people that I like really well. people. I think that there's, there's two groups. The people that want the old version of the Adams family, oh yeah, they're not they're not happy. Yeah. I've heard it's a little quirky, high schooly kind of yeah. kitschy, you know. I've I've uh, I've watched the first episode. I enjoyed it. Um, I like the girl who plays Wednesday, and I and it's kind of interesting because it's like more it's all based around her, and then all of her family kind of makes cameos throughout the the show, and they're all played by famous actors as well. Yeah, and it's Tim Burton. Like it's actually Tim Burton too. Like it's not like okay, so it's, it's not the Nightmare Before Christmas version of Tim Burton where he didn't actually direct it. No, like well, he directs like the first six episodes, but he, but I think he, he does a lot. Most of the other stuff around it as well. So it feels okay. It feels Tim Burton ish um, when I when I've watched it. So all right, well that's that's something. Um, I read that the role of Edward Scissorhands, and I know you love to talk about this stuff. Yeah. So it was turned down by Tom Hanks and Gary Oldman. Could you imagine Gary Oldman as Edward Scissorhands? Yeah. No, I couldn't. I mean, I'm. He could do it, though. He's so talented. He could do it. Tom Hanks couldn't do it. No, that would have been bad. That doesn't even make sense. Yeah. The studio. So the studio wanted Tom Cruise, but um, Burton correctly didn't think Cruise was right for it. Yeah. And other people they considered were Robert Downey Jr., John Cusack, and even a young Jim Carrey. I and think this was like yeah. right when In Living Color was on. I think I believe the first season of In Living Color was 1990. Yeah, I think it would have been too goofy if it was Jim Carrey. Yeah, it's that. I mean, this is one of those roles where I don't think anyone else could have played it. And if you someone, always say that, no, though. but it's one of those things. Like, yeah, John Cusack's not, maybe Robert Downey Jr. Maybe Gary Oldman would be my choice. 
He's so, he's just the best, I think. Of of all these names, he's like the he's, he's the most unique. You're right. He's the best out of all of them. But I think what makes this somewhat believable is the age, the ages of Johnny Depp and Winona Ryder at this time. Like they they are very age appropriate yeah. for each other. If Gary Oldman's in that role, he looks much older than Winona Ryder, and it does it seems. I, to me, that seems weird. Yeah, they maybe they would have aged up the Kim character then if mm, they'd done that. Maybe that is interesting though. Yeah, I, I know you love talking about that stuff, so I was trying to look for it now when I'm doing my show notes. Um, Appreciate that. The the Academy nominated this movie for Best Makeup Oscar, but it lost to Dick Tracy, which fucking sucks. God, that movie's awful. If we ever oh. want to do a, da- a bad movie. We should do Dick Tracy because I've seen that movie. I saw it way too many times as a kid. And there's too many famous people in that movie for it to be as bad as it is. Yeah, Dick Tracy sucks. I, I, it was, I accurately recognized that it sucked when I was like a six or seven year old boy. And I've only ever seen it once or twice. Smart. Yeah. And then Danny Elfman's soundtrack won a Grammy. And um, Danny Elfman partnered with Tim Burton on many, many, many soundtracks and won many awards. I mean, and Danny was- Elfman is. I would say one of the most, I mean, he has become one of the most famous composers in Hollywood, I would say. Yeah, right? because of Tim Burton. Because of Tim like Burton, Tim, yeah. Yeah, Tim Burton was the one who said, I want you and put him on all these A-list movies. Yeah. Yeah, it's so, crazy. It's crazy that he's done, like, because he does so I shouldn't much. say because of Tim Burton. Danny Elfman's obviously really talented. But Tim, right. Burton, Tim Burton put him in, him in a position to succeed. Also the composer on the new Wednesday show. Um, That's cool. So, uh, Dumb shit. So if Vincent Price could build like almost an entire human who's capable of love, crying, he must be capable of digestion because Edward's eating and he's he's got advanced locomotion, yet he gives him scissor fingers for some reason. It seems to me that like the order of priorities was, was a little out of whack here. Like, why are you doing his hands absolutely last? Like, don't you think hands are among the most important parts? For for a human to assimilate? Uh, yeah, I there must be some reason. I mean, obviously there's some reason why he has scissor hands. I mean, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And I don't know if they like just missed the... Is there a plot point where they like why he has scissor hands or... No, like, no, it's never really addressed. Okay. It, it, feel, it feels like a very personal choice to Tim Burton. Like they wanted to give him something that made him like a little... Like made him look a little threatening, mm, you know? yeah. And, and, and but it's it's like why did he pick scissors? I would be fascinated to to have that conversation with him as a writer. Like where did that come from, and what inspired that, and what what did you see as the pros and cons of of giving him scissor hands? Like just it's such a unique choice, and everyone describes Tim Burton as being so unique and such a visionary. So it's I wouldn't say it's it's off brand or anything, but it's so odd. Mm-hmm. It is odd, but yeah, obviously it goes with the plot of the entire movie with everything that Edward goes. F- through so like yeah i, I want to i guess you don't really need to explain why he got him but it yeah it is interesting but but, but there's problems with having scissors for hands yes. right and they don't really get addressed and we, we we mentioned this earlier like does edward go to the bathroom i mean he eats mm-hmm. he drinks he also has scars all over his body which makes you believe that he's messed like he's accidentally hit himself so he's doing some things with his hands that he has tried to do so like i wonder what underneath his clothes look like <laughs> Yeah, does he go to the bathroom? Does he shower? Is he um um God. is he interested in other things that might require anatomy? You know, it, it's not I don't know. 
It's it's. T- I kind of vision his like underneath his body. Like my uh, daughter got this doll. They make these stupid dolls that are called Baby Alive's. I don't know if you're familiar, Adam. I'm not. But it's this doll that has you feed it stuff, and you can feed it anything. You can put anything in its mouth, and then the food goes through the doll. Oh yes, and then yes, comes yes. out in a diaper. In the diaper, yeah. And it's the biggest scam of all time for toys because like you have to buy all these diapers for the doll if you want to keep on changing it like a like a real baby. But like we, of course, we didn't do that. But you put shit in there, and it just comes out, and then it comes out the same as it went in. And so that's how I imagine food going into and coming out of Edward is like it goes in and it just comes out the same. Well, that would be really uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> like I don't think he has digestion. Hang on, back to baby alive. Why do you need multiple diapers if it comes out the same as it went in? Why, why would you ever need to throw that you diaper away? Put liquid in it. Oh, you could theoretically put liquid. Well, in that, it. like part of it is like that also pees. Like you oh. drink the water, it pees. Like kind of stuff. So did Ivy ask for this doll? Yes. It, it, okay. You know, she probably saw an ad for it on YouTube. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, they know how to make money, don't they? They do. So um, I want to share a personal story. I actually got to meet Anthony Michael Hall one time. Mm. Um, and I've I've mentioned story. This was a crazy like film festival that I've taught told stories on this podcast before in Louisville, Kentucky. It's the same film festival where I did that, like the dance with the Backstreet Boys yeah. and where the, the kid from Child's Play smoked weed and all these other things happened to me. But at one point, Anthony Michael Hall was there and you could sign up for like a private talk back session with him. And I did because I was like, oh, well, shit, Anthony Michael Hall. Yeah, I want to go talk to him, you know, because I'm a big 80s, 90, early 90s fan. Yeah. So I go there and it's not that busy. Like I get in this little private classroom, like think of like a middle school classroom, like where you where you had homeroom. There could maybe be 30 kids in there, right? Yeah. But Anthony Michael Hall's at the front of this homeroom, and me and like 15 to 20 other fans are sitting like students in this class. And there's nobody else. I think somebody from the festival was there like filming it or something, but like that's it. And we were able, he he had like an opening monologue and then he just did Q&A. Wow. And there were so few people there that everybody got to ask him whatever they wanted. And he was, of all the famous people I've ever met, he seemed the most genuine. Like he mm. was the nicest, most honest about himself and his career. He had no ego. You could tell that he'd like found God. You know what I mean? He's like religious now or something like that, which mm. was fine. But like the way he spoke about being famous and he, he spoke to us about like hanging out with Mike Tyson in the eighties. Anyway, I just came away from meeting him thinking this was like the coolest guy. Right. And he, he had, he was telling us about some role he had had in some war movie that had come out around like 2016 or 2017. I think Brad Pitt might've been in it. Maybe not, but there's some war movie and he has a small role in it. But anyway, when I was there in this classroom, I asked Anthony Michael about this movie. I, I, that was like my main question. I wanted to ask him about like what made him want to play a bad guy in Edward Scissorhands. And I remember because I referred to him as turning heel and he really liked that. He talked about like old time wrestling and how they were called heels. Like he knew what I was referencing. Um, anyway, he says that Tim Burton convinced him he could do it, that like his agent wanted him to do other things. And he met with Tim Burton and Tim Burton like pumped him with all this confidence. And that was that. And that he, he wasn't sure he was right for it. But, mm. I mean, he did it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But when I rewatch it, I think I still think, I don't know that he's right for that role. <laughs> yeah, it is. a Well, you know, he had just done, like, um, I forget that movie, where he plays a football player, and he's like... Johnny oh, Be Good. Johnny Be Good. And... Uh, Robert Downey Jr. calls that Johnny B movie. 
Johnny B. Uh, but yeah, I, I think he was just try- like because he was the nerd and all that stuff in the eighties, and uh, yeah, he was definitely trying to like just do something different. But it probably ruined his career, obviously, because I, I mean, think his look changing ruined his. Yeah, career. he just got people bigger. didn't recognize he just, he him just anymore. Got more built, and yeah, he just gained weight like people do when they get older. And uh, interesting. yeah, so I mentioned this is one hundred five minutes long, which is just perfect for a movie like this. An hour 45, 89% on Rotten Tomatoes, extremely high. And um, this is kind of one of those movies you won't hear a lot of people talking shit about. Yeah, no, it's, there's not much you can, I don't think there's many bad things you could say about this movie other than, the movie doesn't make sense because he has scissors for hands. I'm like, okay, well, go watch the movie. I mean, yeah. I don't know many people are arguing that point anyways, so. Totally agree. So yeah, love it. You? I, I love it, yeah. And it's, you know, it's funny. I was talking to my my friend who works across the hall of my studio, who's a, a film reviewer, and I was asking him like if he considered Edward Scissorhands like a Christmas movie, and it's definitely not like a traditional Christmas movie, but it can definitely be kind of put into the equation just because of you know what the movie's about. It's about like this little town that now it snows in this town every year because of Burbank, what California. Yeah. Oh, is that what Burbank, California? Yeah. And that's and that's um Edward Scissorhands like suburban where he grew up. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Oh that's oh Tim, that's where Tim Burton grew up. I'm sorry, yeah, that's where Tim Burton grew up in like suburba suburban. And but yeah, it's it's a it's a good time of year to watch this movie. It sure is. So if you guys like watching movies and you like reviewing podcasts, you can help us out by giving us those sick five star reviews on Apple iTunes music. We'd also love to interact with you. We'd love it. You can email us at super90sbrothers at gmail.com, all spelled out, at super90sbrothers on Twitter, at spocastpods, or where you can find Brennan, adampitzler.com to check out my shit. For Brennan Pointer, I am Adam J. Pitzler, and this has been another scissoring episode of Super 90s Bros, Tim Burton style. And remember, if some Avon lady adopts you into her suburban home, she might be secretly contracting you to kill her daughter's douchebag boyfriend. Peace. Oh, this is hot scissoring. Oh, Scissor me timbers. That is warm as the sea. And I swear to the song that I'll never make.